0: This episode contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Monday, September 19th. The Let Them Sleep In edition. I'm Zach Rosen. I host a podcast called The Best Advice Show, and I live in Detroit with my family. My oldest Noah is five and my youngest Ami is two.
1: I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's 8, and Teddy, who's 5. We live in Colorado Springs, Colorado.
2: I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is 9, and we live in Los Angeles.
0: Today on the show, Elizabeth talks with author Lisa Lewis about her book, The Sleep-Deprived Teen, Why Our Teenagers Are So Tired, and How Parents in Schools Can Help Them Thrive. But first, we wanted to jump into the mailbag. We got a few letters from listeners that had thoughts on the Between Two Homes episode.
3: Hi, Mom and Dad. As a person who was raised in a 50-50 home situation that was less than ideal, I wanted to write in, I was once a kid who was telling one parent, I'm not comfortable at the other house. I don't feel safe. And it was not heard or acted upon as much as it should have been. I was forced to do 50-50 time until turning 18, I now have a very strained relationship, at best, with the parent whose house I was trying to avoid. I've spent a lot of time in therapy trying to come to terms with feelings of abandonment and still struggle with the aftereffects of such a profound loss of choice. I highly encourage you to let your son try out some 90-10 time, or 100-0 if that's the request, to see if that can help his emotional state in any way. I also echo Elizabeth's thoughts that It sounds like there is some emotional abuse going on, which, in my case, was also accompanied by verbal and physical abuse by my step-siblings. Please regularly and routinely ask your child specific questions to show you are willing to hold that hard information if he's able to share it. Hoping good things for you and your son.
0: Thank you for that, and we actually have one more.
3: Dear Mom and Dad are Fighting, I believe that your comments were far too mild and that this mother and son are dealing with a potential narcissist who is now beginning to enact financial abuse. Hopefully, this helps. As the letter was read, I grew more and more uncomfortable with the situation your son is in. And when you said that his father told him that if he moves out, he cannot take his things with him to your house because he bought them or whatever, my alarm started ringing at its highest volume. Your ex sounds a whole lot like my father, who is a textbook person with narcissistic personality disorder. And I endured many years of emotional, verbal, and occasionally physical abuse in my household growing up. I cut him out of my life on December 31st, 2001, because he had threatened to do a similar type of financial abuse to my son as he did with me. And I just could not allow that. You don't say in your letter why it is that you two split up. Was it because of similar issues? Your ex yelling? Being out of control? Financially abusive? or even just never taking the blame? These can be small things if done very rarely, but they can also be really huge. I could be completely wrong here. This could be a rare situation and really not as bad as it sounds in my head. But as someone who was diagnosed with ADHD last year at 35, I am especially protective of fellow neurodiverse kids, because not only does the world see us differently and present us with many more struggles, but we also tend to be much more sensitive and deal with hardships due to rejection sensitivity, dysphoria, RSD. The way that his step-siblings are talking to your son especially make me think of RSD, but also just how freaking inappropriate it is. Please take a bigger look at your ex's behavior over the course of your relationship and since he became a father to your son. Hopefully, I am totally off base here, but if I'm not, I urge you to seek a therapist for yourself and a lawyer for your son. Sending virtual hugs.
0: Thank you for both of those. That last point, especially, I think is a really important one, just like to regularly check in with your kid, because the situation, as our writers have written, and as we discussed, they could be super serious. I mean, it is super serious. But um, yeah, I I appreciate these critiques here. What what do you all think?
1: Yeah, great. I mean, I think how passionately these are written and sent in is indication of how dealing with someone who treats you like this, like sits with you, and then you feel like you need to protect everyone else. So I th- I think it's always important that if you think that something is going on, or you think that there's more than what's going on, regardless of the advice we gave you, right, we're not there, we don't know that you take the most that you can to protect your child.
2: Absolutely. And um, I encourage you to seek the support of a therapist for yourself and your son and you know to speak to your lawyer and see what your options are because this is a really tough situation and you know i appreciate these two letter writers letting us know that we didn't quite go hard enough in addressing it
0: as always you can submit comments advice or questions of your own by emailing us at momanddad at slate.com Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will dive right into Elizabeth's interview. We are back, and Elizabeth, tell us what we are going to learn today.
1: Right. So Lisa Lewis has been on the teen sleep beat for years. We'll actually hear just how influential her work has been and her involvement in California changing school start times. She has a new book out called The Sleep Deprived Teen that takes on a lot of the myths around teen sleep and how we can take action on a local level to make the education system work better for them. Here's the interview. I hope you guys enjoy. Lisa, we're so excited to have you on the show and to talk all about teen sleep and school times and all those things. Oh, I'm so
4: excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So I guess the first thing is like, what is your interest in teen sleep? So I'm a parenting journalist. This did come about because of what we were facing in our own house um, and that was actually seven years ago. I've been immersed in this for the last seven years because 2015, in fact, August of 2015, exactly seven years ago, was when my oldest was starting high school. I have two kids. My son, the one who was just starting high school at that point is now in college. My daughter is now a high school senior, but he was starting high school August of 2015. And at that point, our local high school started at 7.30 in the morning. So all of a sudden, there I am, we're leaving the house every day at 7.10, I'm driving him to school, and it was so early. It was the earliest he'd ever had to go to school. He's dutifully walking in, but hardly alert and, you know, in any shape that one would say is, you know, showing up and ready for a full day of learning. So, um, so that was the situation that kind of brought it home, you know, literally in our case, and so, of course, as a parenting journalist, I started looking into it, you know, because I'm curious, Was yeah. wanted to know, why does our school start at 730? And there happened to be a report that had just come out the previous year, 2014, because that's when the American Academy of Pediatrics released their policy statement, recommending that middle and high schools start no earlier than 830. So this landmark statement had just been released. And so, I sort of got involved in this issue really at a fortuitous moment. That statement had really put a stake in the ground and set the stage for so much of what's come since with pretty much every other major medical group concurring that yeah, 7.30 was far too early. The most recent data from the CDC, this was from 2019, they surveyed high schoolers and what they found was only about one in five high schoolers were even hitting the minimum of eight hours. So that gives you a sense of just how widespread this is. So it, it really is an issue. It's got far-reaching reach, far implications. And that was that was what I started writing about, you know, co- connected with this early start time issue.
1: I thought it was so interesting, too, how you highlighted that, and I think this eventually leads to sort of why school times is one of the answers to our problems um, with teen sleep. But you have a chapter called Not All Teens Sleep the Same, and it talks about how, like, girls are more likely to suffer from insomnia, like teens of color just in general kind of get worse sleep, that where you are on the economic spectrum, what kind of a neighborhood environment you have, like all of these things that we can't necessarily, you know, control, influence your sleep so it's affecting like yes teen sleep in general is bad but like it's also worse in these communities that are already affected by by other things
4: absolutely Um, yeah and that was such a huge topic as you mentioned i have that whole chapter and it really is just an overview of some of these disparities just for parents and educators and community members just to be aware of all these complicating factors that can impact sleep because all those things you just referenced are above and beyond what teens are already facing. And a teen can tick off more than one of those boxes. You can be female and a teen of color and living in a neighborhood where you don't feel safe, you know, and and maybe you're not straight. I mean, all of those are things where each of those factors are risk factors for poor sleep. And that's on top of what our teens are already facing. So, and I think maybe just to step back and talk about what it is just across the board that we know teens are facing. So they need eight to 10 hours. That's um, up until they hit age 18 because they're still growing. I mean, it's such a massive time of development. You can just, you can see it when you watch your teens, you know, transform, but they're also going through tremendous developments in terms of brain development and pruning and remodeling that's taking place. But the other key thing is that When our kids begin puberty, they begin to shift to a later sleep schedule. And I think so many people don't necessarily realize that because you'll hear, oh, well, if they're so tired, why don't they just go to bed earlier? Well, they can't, it's biology. So it's a circadian rhythm shift, meaning the timing for when they wanna be awake and when they wanna sleep actually shifts later. You know, it's a complex process obviously with sleep, but one of the the key um, changes is that melatonin, which is what primes us to feel sleepy, begins to be released, later in the evening than it once did. So they're not feeling sleepy until about 11 o'clock at night. So I mean, you can't just say, oh, go to bed at nine o'clock. I mean, they're not six years old, they have a different body clock. So they can't fall asleep until about 11. And then of course, many of them are falling asleep later than that. But then they need eight to 10 hours. So you just do the math. And you can see why early start times really make it almost impossible for them to get the 8 to 10 hours of sleep that they need.
1: I think this is so important because one of the arguments kind of against the later s- start times is that they'll just stay up later. You know, they're like, well, teens already stay up late, they'll just stay up later. So I think understanding this idea that like they are not tired at 8 or 9, if you as an adult have ever tried to go to sleep when you are not tired, <laughs> you know it's I mean it's it's just fruitless. <laughs> You can lay in the bed for two more hours, but it doesn't make you sleep, you know? And so they say, okay, well, they'll just they'll just sleep longer. But studies show that when we push things later, teens sleep more. They're happy to sleep in those morning hours.
4: Right, right. Well, and, and the research, really, there are decades of research on this. So it has been proven repeatedly in all these schools that have made these start time changes. When schools start later, teens get more sleep. So what happens is they do stay up a little bit later in the evening, but they more than make up for it with the additional sleep that they're able to gain in those morning hours. Cause that's really the factor that's cutting into their sleep the most.
1: We all are like, yeah, sleep is important. But for teens, I mean, you you actually talk about there's a mental health impact, there's emotional regulation issues, there is risk-taking behavior is linked to sleep, like sports and school performance is linked to sleep. And 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 when I looked at the list in totality, it I think it just adds all this weight to say, well, it's not just about kind of the sense of being healthy, it's really about all these behaviors that we think like. Well, teens are, you know, have all this trouble with it. And I started to think, well, we're not really giving teens a fair chance.
4: They are able to make better decisions. They have better regulation because their um, prefrontal cortex, which is the, you know, the seat of executive functioning, is online and can counterbalance the limbic system, which is revved up first and is what's responsible for all the emotional um, side of things and impulsive behaviors and risky behaviors. So they're already more prone to that as teens. And then when you layer on sleep deprivation, it just makes everything that much worse.
1: One of the things I think I was surprised about is you advocate for sort of this sleep routine. And I think many of us parents sort of think we've left the sleep routine years when we get to teens, you know, we're like, okay, that was something we did for our babies and our toddlers and maybe even our elementary kids. But you really say that can make a huge difference in, in teaching them. And I, I was hoping you could give a few of the the tips or the ideas that that you found um, about getting teens into this sleep space.
4: Yes, absolutely. And it's true, because as parents, yes, you know, with younger kids, it's all about the bedtime routine. And, you know, I don't know what it was like in your house, but in my house, my kids are young, I felt like I felt like I was almost a prisoner in their room, like it would go on and on and on. And it was, you know, you're reading to them and you're snuggling. And then there's always, but wait, one more, one more, you know, and but it's still part of that established transition to help them go from that awake stage to drifting off to sleep. And that's something that doesn't go away, even though our kids are older. I mean, for adults, too, because our brains aren't like computers, you can't just go, 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 and then, you know, flip a switch and expect that you're immediately going to be able to fall asleep, we all need some kind of transition time. And so that's what having a wind down routine is all about. Um, and it's interesting, because this is one of the um, suggestions that I got from one of the sleep scientists I spoke with who works with professional athletes, because they know sleep is a competitive advantage. So this is what she always tells them you need to develop a wind down routine, because that way you can take that with you wherever you are when you're on the road. And she also, you know, says it, it's important for all of us. And so For a teen, they're going to be the ones to come up with that routine. We're not going to be reading them a book anymore. (laughs) But they can be reading a book, you know, an old school book, ideally, as opposed to reading it on a Kindle, because there are issues with being on tech that that, um, can um, sometimes complicate our efforts to, to go to sleep. And we can talk about those in a bit. But it could be that. It can be taking a warm bath. It can be, Even listening to a podcast, which isn't looking at a screen, Mm -hmm. but it's something that they find relaxing, that's kind of downtime, and figuring out what works for you, you know, for the teen, even as an adult. Like if someone said, I had to go take a a warm bath every night, I hate taking baths. Like they just, you know, it would not work, you know? So it's sort of like you got to come up with what's going to work for you. And then you do that same sequence of events and you're sort of priming yourself, like, oh, I'm now in that getting ready to go to sleep mode. So that's a really key one. But as part of that, I think, you know, I was sort of alluding to the fact that it's not just for teens. I think it's really about making sleep a priority overall in our families, talking about it, letting them see that we are also, you know, doing these things, we value our sleep, because it is bigger than just our teens.
1: I think that's so true, and in fact, I was thinking about how every sleep expert we have on (laughs) sort of says, "Like, listen, adults aren't that great at this either." (laughs) You know, like uh, this is an opportunity for you to reevaluate how sleep is looked at in your entire house, and and with that, of course, you talk about you know social media and phones and all of that are a huge part of the problem, and I mean, we could probably have a whole you know, episode and conversation just about that, but setting those boundaries too with kids just about those and how they influence their sleep and because they are so immersive and a connection to the outside world and and making it a priority. And to be honest, one of my favorite parts of your book is sort of at the beginning where you tell us how we got here. Schools used to be more local and we had a little bit more flexibility and we sort of ended up in this rise and shine and uh, head off early.
4: Yeah, and it was really interesting for me to kind of delve into that to try and understand how we got to this point. Because schools did used to start closer to nine a.m. You know, our high school, which has been around for about a hundred years, did used to start at nine a.m., and that was kind of the norm. But over time, these start times drifted earlier. It was due to um, larger factors at play: suburbanization, consolidation into larger schools, and primarily the bus system that schools use, because in so many cases then when they were pressed to cut costs, they looked at, gee, how can we streamline our transportation budget? And they decided that it made sense to just use one fleet of buses for elementary, middle, and high schools and have this staggered system But at the point they were doing this, because again, this was decades ago, this research on teen sleep was not yet widely known. And so by default, a lot of them put the oldest kids in that earliest thing, thinking, oh, well, they should be best able to handle it. Well, of course, now we know that is not the case. But these legacy schedules have endured. And long past the time when, you know, we, we do know better at this point, there are many districts that have changed, I should say. But the issue is, it's not enough of them have. I mean, it's really been on a patchwork basis, which is why it's so significant that finally it's being done at a statewide level in California.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I would assume too that the research and and stuff that will be able to come out of such a a large state doing this may push things forward. I feel like in all these interviews, parents are always like, "Well, what am I supposed to do?" And you actually, your book talks about this. How can parents make a difference? Like, how can they change this start time? How can they be an advocate? you know, for their teens in this way, and for other for all the teens. I mean, I I think that's one of the things, again, is that changing the school time is something you can advocate for that will affect more than just your teen. And that makes it feel like a very worthy, you know, action. It's not just like, oh, we're going to take the phone away. It's like, hey, we can actually make a change for our community.
4: Basically, it's what I did is you get involved locally. I teamed up with other local parents I had ended up starting a a local chapter of a group called Start School Later, because they had been a tremendous information resource for me when I was reporting on this. And I was also, you know, wanting to make a change locally. So I started up a local chapter. And in fact, that was how I got looped into the bill, because when this California state senator, Anthony Portentino, was researching it, he also had reached out to Start School Later. They ended up being a co-sponsor of the state bill. And they looped in those of us who are chapter leaders in the state. So that's that's how I found out even before the bill was introduced. But it was Start School Later and then also the California State PTA that sponsored this because they recognize the benefits and they're all about kids' health and well-being. So I would say locally, you can consider starting a chapter or bringing it to your PTA and having an information night because I think sharing information about just some of these basics about sleep Because so many times people aren't aware, yeah, teens really should be getting eight to 10 hours of sleep, not eight, eight's the minimum, you know, it's this range. And there that's because many of them are going to need on, you know, the higher end of that range. It's helping people understand, no, they can't just go to bed earlier, there is this circadian rhythm shift. And it's talking about a lot of this and helping them understand why all of this matters, And the why, which you touched on, is it affects everyone across the board. But for our teens, it affects school performance. You know, the schools should care about it. You know, when when kids are literally asleep on their desks in first period, obviously, they're not learning. They have found, again, time after time, you know, these various studies, attendance goes up, tardies go down, grades go up, um, graduation rates go up. I mean, really significantly, this one study, they looked at, it was 20, no, 30,000 high schoolers, 29 high schools, seven states, and the average graduation rate after two years went from 79% to 88%. So that's huge. So for the schools themselves, this makes sense. And then you look at, you know, what it means for teens in terms of mental health, The fact that being sleep deprived exacerbates depression, anxiety, suicidality. It contributes to drowsy driving crashes. It contributes to other risky behaviors, substance use. I mean, it's across the board. It it really is is so important. So helping people understand that and starting to do that locally is um, what I would recommend. What I will say though is I do think that having this addressed at the statewide level ultimately is probably the very best approach, because it does take it away from having to convince everyone at the local level. Because if you don't have a superintendent or, you know, president of the Board of Education or somebody who is on board with this, it might, it's unfortunately, history has shown, it's likely not going to happen.
1: I definitely walked away from your book with this, like, Gosh, sleep is there, there aren't many magic bullets in the world, but sleep may be one of them. It
4: really is. I, one of the researchers, I can remember him saying, if only everyone got a good night's sleep, can you imagine what a better world this would be? Because we're all short-tempered when we haven't gotten enough sleep. And meanwhile, you know, our broader culture is all about go 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 and, you know, if you can get by on less sleep, that that's somehow seen as a badge of honor, but it's not. Across the board, we all do better when we get enough sleep.
1: Lisa, I think that is such a good place for us (laughs) to end because I I really do think that is the the message here and I don't even have a team yet and I... (laughs) just thought your book was wonderful and so eye-opening and it has so many good practical tips. So I encourage everyone to pick up a copy of Lisa's book. It's called The Sleep Deprived Teen, Why Our Teenagers Are So Tired and How Parents and Schools Can Help Them Thrive. It's out now and we will, of course, link to it in the show notes. Lisa, thank you so much for joining
4: us. Thank you so much. I love talking about sleep. I love I love sleep too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alright, it's finally time for recommendations. Elizabeth, what are you recommending for us this week?
1: Many listeners, longtime listeners, will know that I am on the continual search to find shirts for Oliver that he likes that fit his body. He tends to like things that stores print on girls' shirts, but he would like the shirt to fit him more like boys' shirts fit. And it's been really, really difficult. Well, a friend of the show who I interviewed a while back, Joe Kern, um, was actually over at the house, and he walked in wearing this rainbow cat T-shirt, and Oliver went crazy and joe told me about the website called tea turtle and they're actually famous they have made a bunch of games including unstable unicorns they are responsible for those little plush octopuses that turn inside and outside but they also make these really great graphic tees uh that you have they have different cuts that you can pick for them and you can get these um these wonderful cute graphics they have some that would be inappropriate for children to wear they have plenty though that are appropriate they've also licensed with Disney and Star Wars and they're all really cute kind of drawings but we ordered a um, a knitting cat and like a rainbow unicorns for him on these really great fitting um, just t-shirts with with fun designs and the colors and stuff that he loves so I'm I'm very happy I'm happy that Joe passed that along to me so if you like me are searching for this T-Turtle may, may be a good fit for you
0: nice yeah on the website they describe themselves as cute nerdy pop culture t-shirts and that's what they look like
1: i've been really impressed with the quality and they i don't just being able like oliver's so excited when he gets to wear like his he has now a matching rainbow cat shirt to joe and he is like so excited um but he just looks so much more comfortable than when i was trying to like buy other stuff and and alter it at some point i was making some of our own too but they're just never as cute you know i can't do 40 colors and the glitter and all of that. So
0: how about you, Jamila?
2: I am recommending, um, a show on HBO max called rap shit. It's very fun. It's from the gifted mind of Issa Rae. It's about two young women who were friends in high school. Uh, I guess they're in their mid-20s, and they start a rap career. Um, And they're literally starting from the bottom, and it's exciting and fun to kind of see them have their first little taste of of success. And um, it's not a kid-friendly show, but it's a good show. So if you're into rap music, if you liked Insecure, I think you'll enjoy rap shit.
0: Is it tonally similar to Insecure?
2: A little bit. It's funnier, you know. I, I feel like there's a little bit more laughter to it. But um but I feel like the characters could exist in the same universe. Uh they also have a really smart way of integrating social media into the show, which I find fun. You know, the characters are constantly going live on Instagram and, you know, interacting with people there and we see that um as well as text messages, which, you know, it's a pretty common device in TV show storytelling now, but I think it's done really well on the show.
0: But Issa Rae is not in it, correct?
2: No, she's not in it. She's the executive producer and creator.
0: Nice. I'm going to recommend a podcast today. It's called Mother Country Radicals. It's incredible. Um, It's about... Well, so it's it's written and hosted by Zayd Dorn, who is the son of Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers, two of the co-founders of The Weather Underground. And so, like... Great documentaries that are done by like a family member of the the subject. He just has such good access and he's interviewing his parents throughout. And also there's a ton of archival tape from the time. So it's a really good history lesson about, um, you know, late 60s, radical left militancy and um, but also like a family portrait um, it's just, it's just beautifully told. It's ten parts. It's produced by Dustlight Productions and Odyssey and Crooked Media. It's like a collaboration, but it's really well told. I started it yesterday, and I'm like, I haven't found myself absorbed in a narrative serialized show in a while, and I just want to just keep listening. It's so so good.
1: I was going to ask if this is like binge, like I, you can each, binge. You just want to hear the yeah, next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so satisfying when you find those. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's not easy to do.
1: This looks awesome. I'm going to check this out. How many episodes are here? Let's look.
0: It's 10. 10 episodes. It's 10, like 45 to 55 minutes. So it's a commitment. So you won't binge it all in a day, but totally worth your time. And that's it for our show. We'll be back in your feeds on Thursday, so be sure to tune in. While you're at it, please subscribe to the show and give us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. This episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Christy Taiwo Macanjula. Elizabeth Newcamp and Jamila Lemieux. I'm Zach Rosen, thanks for listening.